0: Good evening to all of you again. Tonight, we are going to uh, get into deeper into Revelation. There are certain things that sometimes I say that seem to uh, sound humorous, but in reality, there's a, there's a purpose for what I'm saying. For example, if I say to you, Chapter 7 of Revelation follows after chapter 6. You say, well, of course. 7 always follows after 6. The problem is that a lot of people, when they study the book of Revelation, don't take note of that, and they miss some very important points that God is trying to bring out. Let me illustrate, for example. In uh, chapter 7, chapter 6, the last few verses of Revelation chapter 6 and verse 15. You remember that we're living between verse 13 and 14 in in terms of Earth's history. Because the last thing that was seen was that the earthquake, the sun would not shine, and the stars or the meteorite shower that hit the planet. Then the, the next thing is that the, the atmosphere will roll apart as a scroll. Well, that hasn't happened yet, thankfully. Uh, So we're living between that period of time. However, right after that, as the heavens roll back as a scroll, then there appears a sign of the Son of Man. And the Bible says that the kings of the earth and the great men and the rich men and the chief captains and the mighty men and every bondman and free man hid themselves in the dents and in the rocks of the mountains. And they say to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. And the last verse, verse 17 of chapter 6, is where I want to focus. For the great day of his wrath is come. And what's the last question raised? Who shall be able to stand? The sixth seal is in chapter 6, but the seventh seal is in chapter 8. So if you look at the sixth seal in chapter 6, then chapter 7 apparently says nothing about the seals, but then you go to chapter 8 and verse 1, do you have your Bibles? Look at chapter 8, verse 1. Notice what it says there in your Bibles and what was happening it says in chapter 8 when he had opened the seventh seal there was silence in heaven about the space of a half hour you see that so it goes from chapter 6 and skips to chapter 8 you notice that yes or no chapter 6 uh, tells you that the sixth seal opens up with a great earthquake, verse 12, chapter 6, verse 12. Then chapter 8 tells you when the seventh seal was opened, there was silence in heaven about the space of a half hour. That raises a question. And before we answer the question, let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we're studying your sacred word, we pray for understanding and we thank you for hearing us in jesus name amen notice then that chapter 8 verse 1 mentions the seventh seal so you have to ask the question why did revelation jump from chapter 6 to chapter 8 when chapter 7 follows chapter 6. now you understand why i said chapter 7 follows after chapter 6. The reason for it is that chapter 7 is the answer to the question of this chapter 6, verse 17. Another question is, who will stand? And it appears that no one is able to stand because all it, it says is that the captains, the great men, the little people, etc. are all running and hiding and crying to the rocks and the mountains saying, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him that sitteth on his throne. It doesn't mention any righteous there. All it mentions is that those who were ill-prepared, those who were not ready for the coming of Christ, were the ones that were fleeing from the one who actually has come to deliver. So why would people be running from the one who is the deliverer? Because they're not in the same camp. So then you have to ask the question, are there any saved then? Because it doesn't mention any saved in chapter 6. It just mentions the lost. The ones who are hiding and crying and pleading for the rocks to fall upon them. Chapter 7 then is the chapter that brings the hope. That tells you, yes, there is some one who will be saved. In fact, it tells you there's a multitude that will be saved. So, but in order to introduce you into that, it first breaks it down by angels. So let's read chapter seven. Then notice what it says in verse one, chapter seven, verse one. And after these things, I saw four angels standing on the four corners of the earth holding the four winds of the earth that the wind should not blow on the earth nor the sea nor on any tree in other words there's something about to break loose upon the planet but before it breaks loose the angels are struggling to hold back the winds that are about to break upon the earth in other words my friends if you think it's bad now you haven't seen anything Because according to the scriptures, when those angels let loose, then you will see to what extreme Satan would go to try to destroy the planet. But notice it says in verse 2, I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of what? Of the living God, and he cried with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was given to hurt the earth and the sea. Saying, hurt not the earth, neither the sea, nor the trees, till we have what? seal, seal the servants of our God in their foreheads. In other words, there is a probationary period being given. As the angels are holding back the winds, it is with the intent of... That those who desire can have the opportunity to bring their lives in line with God, and that's good news. What do you say? So, but it says, "Hold it until we can seal the servants of our God." Where? In the forehead. So notice now we're speaking about what? The forehead. The reason for this is that in Revelation chapter 13, there's another, as it were, selection. Because what God is telling us is that while those people are running and and are scared and believe that they are completely lost, God has been sealing a group of people who will be able to stand. But while God is allowing people to come in, the enemy is also making his efforts to make sure that others don't come in. And so those will be marked. Now, it's interesting that God seals the devil marks. And you'll understand the difference in just a moment, okay? So the Bible says there, He costeth all both small and great, rich and poor, free and bound, to receive a what? A mark in their right hand or in their foreheads. And then it says, And that no man might buy or sell, save he that had the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Now there's something similar about these two selections. Primarily, the selection is where? In the forehead. So you're either sealed in your forehead or you are marked in your forehead. Now there are people who think that there's going to be some kind of tattoo stamped on people's heads. And I have to be honest with you that, that that particular process would make no sense because God does not have to have people put a stamp on their forehead in order for him to know that their hearts are with him or not. Do you understand what I'm saying? And so the ceiling has to be something different. Now there is a difference between ceiling and a mark. Let's look at that. How many of you are acquainted with this? How many of you ladies do canning? Any of you? How many of you don't do canning? Well, sometimes you're too busy to do it, right? All right. But canning uh, is done every time the harvest comes around or the fruit is ready, etc. cetera. And uh, when my children were home, uh, we always love the time the canning because we love to be able to, buy the the apples and then process them you know uh take off the skin and then core them and then put them in a vat and heat them up and then after they got heated up and put them to the strainer right are you following me put it to the strainer and then the, the puree comes on the other side and you put that in the jars but you have to have the jars dirty or clean you have to have the jars clean right now then after the jars are clean and you put the stuff in, what do you put in there? The bad stuff or the good stuff? Okay, nobody throws the cores and the peels in the jar. What do they throw in the jar? Yeah, the sauce or the puree, etc. How many of you love, for example, apricots? aha uh-huh. we loved it. We we made a lot of it so that during the winter time when it got cold, my mother, my wife would heat it up and then put it over something called Schweibach. How many of you know what Schweibach is? Aha, uh-huh. now the elimination process is, is growing. All right, three ladies know Schweibach. Schweibach is nothing more than taking bread, putting it in the oven at a certain temperature, and drying them. And in that process, it converts the starch to simple sugars so that the bread then is, is, that, is digestible or a lot quicker digest a lot quicker than the regular starchy bread that you eat okay so we would put peanut butter on that and then put the the uh, apricot puree mm, boy we love that all right so here you have hope i'm not making you folk hungry but but here you have the example of uh, something called canning now what happens however is that Uh, After you put the the puree or whatever it is that you want to put in, in, whether it be pears or peaches, etc., then you put on the lid and you lightly tighten it, correct? Then you put it in the pot with water, you bring the water to boil, to heat up those jars, then you take out the jars and you put them aside, and now you tighten the lid. Because when it cools down, then it creates a vacuum, and now it is what? Sealed. Oh, now you got it. It is what? Sealed. You understand. So, when God speaks about sealing, he is speaking about sealing that which is good that he places in you. God says that he is willing to dwell within you. Is that true? I in thee and thou in me. All right. And so, God wants to seal that which he has been able to place in you. And he wants to seal the good in you for eternity. And that's why the process of sealing is mentioned. But what is it that God puts in you? Well, he puts his word or his thoughts in you. His what? His thoughts. Because the words are nothing more than the expressions of the thoughts of God. What do you say so if you expose yourself to the thoughts of God the Bible says as a man thinketh so is he so if you allow the principles of God to dwell in your mind if you expose yourself to the counsels of God and they become part of your thinking etc then you become that way and so during this process of a probationary period of time that God has given to the world today God is working at placing in people goodness. What do you say? Morality. Character. And finally, the time will come when the heat will come on. Do you hear what I said? When the heat will what? Will come on. But what I mean by the heat will come on, I'm speaking about that there will be terrible persecution. Terrible, terrible, terrible times for those who believe and follow Christ. And that heat will simply just bring those people to complete commitment to Christ. I read a statement that one time it said that the time of trouble will be the crucible to remove any remaining badness in us. You know what a crucible is? Any of you know what a crucible is? Nobody knows. Okay. The crucible is a large steel pot used in industries to melt ore, whether it be silver or uh, whatever metal, it is able to withstand great heat to melt what's in it and turn whatever metal is in it into liquid, usually silver or other things like that. So it's huge heat, but what happens is, as the heat increases, the, the uh, impurities of the silver rise to the top. And then they skim off the impurities, and finally what you have is pure silver. So when the heat comes on then, whatever still remains within you that should not be there God is using that heat to remove the final impurities from you so he can make you save, S-A-F-E, to save, S-A-V-E. What did I say? Save to save. All right, now, so the difference between sealing and marking is obvious. You can go to some uh, grocery stores, you may find some items that are Uh, beyond their pole dating. And they put them aside, and they mark it. What do they mark it? Clearance. What do they say? Clearance. They want to get rid of the stuff. Because if they don't get rid of the stuff, pretty soon they'll go bad. Right? So, the sealing, however, is what we're interested in. We do not want to be marked. We simply want to be sealed. And so, in the Bible, when God speaks about a sealing, it is speaking about sealing that which is within. So, when he says that he puts a seal on the forehead, he's actually referring to that the thoughts have come so in harmony with God's will that when he seals you, you are sealed that way forever. In other words, you'll never ever want to go backwards And be unfaithful to God. You love God. You're true to God. You're loyal to God. And God recognizes that and seals you for eternity. Hallelujah. What do you say? Never again will we have to be wondering whether or not we're going to slip back and fall back, etc. But that process, the Bible reveals, is taking place in these last days. And the ultimate goal is to let this what? Let this mind be in you which was where? which was also in Christ Jesus that's the ultimate goal and so that's why we need to study the word that's why we need to follow Jesus and discover what Jesus is all about as well as discover what Jesus is not all about because unfortunately the Bible reveals that in the last days there will be many who will claim to be Jesus or who will say they represent Jesus But the only way to tell the difference, whether it's true or not, is by studying the... The Word, okay? So, the mind, the frontal lobe, is where characters develop. Is what? Where the characters develop. The seat of reason. That's where you have judgment, conscious intellect, the will, the moral, discernment, spirituality. So, since that's where all of your characters develop, That's why God is is mentioning the forehead. And he's not dealing with just an organ. He's dealing with a thought process. What? A thought process. Because it is in the frontal lobe that that separates you from the rest of the animal kingdom. If you study physiology with animals and all that, you discover then that uh, the cat, for example, I think one-third... Uh, of the not one-third one-sixth of the uh, brain of the cat is uh, frontal lobe with the human being one-third of the brain is frontal lobe so that's why you can be a moral individual that's why you can have conscience that's why you can have uh, uh, spirituality etc it's it's within that uh, place so what's happening then in these last days is there is a battle for the mind. Battle for what? For the mind. All of us unfortunately are in this battle and because we are all in this battle we need to discover how to win the battle and the battle is simply up in the mind. Uh, recently I was down in a place called Weimar uh, at a uh, convention concerning uh, depression how to overcome depression and uh, it was quite interesting that most of the focus of the study had to do with the frontal lobe the hits that hit people that make them depressed are usually within the frontal lobe and in the old days when people became depressed uh, the way they took care of people or Attempted to heal people from depression was by taking an ice pick. You know what an ice pick is How many of you remember the old ice pick? okay Some of you young people don't know what that is, but I remember as a little kid The Iceman would come by and we would have to buy a piece of ice and he would start chunking Right and then the ice okay. Well the medical profession decided that the cure for uh, depression was to take the ice pick and go through the, the, the eye, move the eye to the side and go all the way into the place between the, the back and the frontal lobe and wiggle that ice pick between there to sever the connection between the frontal lobe and the rest of the brain. And once that was done, the person was no longer depressed. However, neither did they have a conscience. Their personalities changed. They were never restored to sameness again. But that was the treatment. Today they give shock treatments uh, and other practices. We know then that the frontal lobe is where a person can develop a Christ-likeness. And that is why the enemy is interested in getting you through your mind. Through what? Through your mind. Please remember this. The devil will never take your hand and force it to steal. The devil will simply impress you with a desire to steal. Is that true? Yes or no? The devil can never take you to do something wrong. He, however, puts the thoughts in you so you can walk to do something wrong. And so the battle is where? In the mind. And that's why in Revelation it reveals the great controversy over the mind. God anxious to seal his people and the devil anxious to mark his people. All right? Now, when Jesus was on earth, The devil attempted to cause Jesus to yield through suggested thoughts. You remember, before he said this, he said to Jesus, if you're the son of God, turn these stones into bread. That was simply suggesting to Jesus, insinuating doubt. Are you really the son of God? If you're really that son of God, then prove it. Go ahead and turn this into bread, then I'll believe that you're the son of God. Jesus, however, could see through that and did not yield to that. So what Jesus did was he thwarted the attempted attack of the devil by simply turning his mind to the thoughts of God. To what? The thoughts of God. You may not realize this, but everything that Jesus said to the devil came from the Old Testament. Came from where? From the Old Testament. Did you know that? Yeah. It all came from the Old Testament. When he said, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. That comes from the book of Exodus. That's when God was given the manna. And Moses said to the people, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. The second temptation was he took him to a high place and told him to cast himself down, because if you're the Son of God, then it's no problem. His angels will come and catch you before you hit the ground. Well, Satan now was quoting also from the Bible. He said, Okay, you really believe in the Bible? Then jump, because God has a promise. And the promise, by the way, that he was quoting was from Psalm 91. But he didn't quote the whole text. He just said, The angel will come and bear you up. But the rest of the text says, He will keep you in all thy ways. And so the idea was that the God had made a promise for people who would like to tempt him and jump off buildings. But Jesus knew the Bible well enough to say, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. And again, that comes from the Old Testament. Then again, the devil took him to a high mountain and showed him all the paradises of the of the earth. It's interesting. He was the first marketing agent. He showed only all the beautiful spots of the earth. Just like if they want to tempt you to take a cruise, what do they show you? All the beautiful turquoise water and the people swimming. And usually you don't see people who are ugly and disformed and all that. Usually they show you beautiful women and handsome young guys. And they're all happy, smiling and all that in this beautiful paradise, such a place to tell you, hey, You're missing out on this. You need to come. Well, obviously, all they want is your money, right? But but what's interesting is they never show you all the bad things that are happening in that place. All they show you is only the good things. And that's what the devil did. He showed Jesus only the good things and said, look, you don't have to go to the cross. You can have them all for free. All you have to do is bow down and worship me. If you do that, no problem. You can have them, okay? Well, all these things will I what? What I give thee, if thou wilt what? Fall down and worship me. So, what was it that Lucifer was looking for? Worship. Christ yielding through thoughts to accept what Lucifer was offering. But again, Jesus said, Get ye hence from me, Satan, for it is written. Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. And again, where does that come from? From the Old Testament. Jesus was simply quoting from the Old Testament. So, the issue then is who you will give your allegiance to. And may I suggest something scary we need to be extremely careful because sometimes there are good, sincere people who believe their allegiance is being to the Lord when in reality, by their practice, they're showing that they're giving their allegiance to the enemy. And that's something to be concerned about. And that's why the Bible is so important because the Bible reveals what is acceptable to God as well as what are the traps that can ensnare somebody to think that they are doing what's right when in reality they're not. Not long ago, I had a friend of mine, a pastor, who was telling me that this lady went and killed a couple, murdered them. And then she came to talk to the pastor to let him know that she did this because God told her to do so. Because what? God told her to do so. If she had known the scriptures, she would not have done that. You understand what I'm saying? So, God does give clear counsel, but the issue is who you will give your allegiance to. So, how do we do that? How do we give our allegiance to the enemy? Well, by temptation and what? Deception. By what? Temptation, what else? Deception. The sad thing is that the devil is so smart that he can insinuate thoughts into the mind to make people believe that they are following their own thought patterns. When in reality, it is nothing more than him putting thoughts into the mind with the hope that the person will not discern that these thoughts are not from them, themselves, but from an external force. Okay? And the ones that are in the worst danger of people who do not believe that there's a personal devil. Because he then can do his work without worrying that he's going to be discovered. Now notice what the Bible says about temptation. Let no man say when he is what? Tempted, I am tempted of who? God, for God cannot for God cannot be tempted with evil. Neither tempteth he what? Any man. But, Man is tempted when he is drawn away from his own what? Lust and what? In other words, there are propensities. That word propensity means a natural bending toward evil. There are propensities within us that naturally cause us to want to do the wrong thing. And because that's there, all Satan has to do is press the button. Do you understand what I'm saying? Now, however, God says, and then when a person uh, has allowed himself to be led by his lust, it bringeth forth what? Sin, and sin, when it is finished, bring it forth death. So question, is temptation a sin? Yes or no? No. Temptation is just suggested thoughts. But notice what it says here. Notice what it says. When he is drawn away of his own lust and what? Enticed, right? Then what did he does? Then when lusts have what? Conceive, it bringeth forth sin. And sin then, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. And of course, the Bible says the wages of sin is death. So in, in, in final analysis, what happens is this. You may be a very noble individual with, with noble desires, Uh, you have no desires to do wrong etc and the enemy knows that so what he does is he creates situations that cause you to fall in your weak side it's interesting one time my wife was in a mall by uh, Salem and when she came home she said honey I had a strange strange experience I said what happened she said there was this this purple ugly sweater That I would not be caught dead in it. She said, the thought came to me that I should not steal it. And I thought, steal it? I wouldn't be caught dead in that thing. And so she said, that was weird, honey. I didn't want the thing. I wouldn't even take it free because it was ugly to me. And the thought came I shouldn't steal it. Well, that evening, we were watching the news, and guess what happened? It turned out that in the news, it revealed that that mall was playing subliminal messages in the music. Putting people's minds, I shouldn't steal. And so the mall actually had paid To have this music with subliminal messages encouraging people not to steal. What they were trying to do is they were trying to cut shoplifting. But they were trying to do it secretly. By trying to manipulate people's minds so that they would not steal. So with my wife, the opposite happened. The thought actually came to her mind that she should not steal. Which meant then that it caused her to think that she should steal right you understand what i'm saying so then it turned out that that mall was sued so that that particular practice was removed from the mall now if mankind can do that and put suggestions into your mind hidden within the music then what about your enemy can he do the same thing yes or no so many times people who are sincere who really want to do what's right, they find a thought in their minds, and they wonder, what's this thought doing there? Why do I think this way? And the problem is, they, they do not realize that it's not their thought. It's a suggested thought. And the way to deal with it is to simply refuse it. Because the Bible says, there have no temptation taken you, but such as it was. Common to men, but God is faithful who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able, but will with the temptation also do what? Make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Amen. What do you say? So no matter what is suggested, you can refuse it. But here's the problem. When I first came to the Lord, my brain was was like a sieve with big holes. With what? With big holes. So Satan can throw footballs in there. So my mind was constantly being bombarded by all of these thoughts. You understand? But the more that I studied the Word of God, it, the Word of God closed in the mesh. And the mesh got finer and finer and finer. So that whereas before, I couldn't tell the difference between external thoughts of my own. Now when it, they come, I can immediately pick them out and push them out. So what happens is people are being used as puppets without realizing it, but the devil makes it appear like they're under their own control. Therefore, they do not suspect that they're being manipulated. But the more you study what is good and right, the more your mind becomes sensitive and it is able, the alarm is able to sound a lot quicker when those thoughts come. So the more you reject those thoughts, the stronger your mind becomes to reject other thoughts. And the finer you are able to detect those even uh, slight thoughts that are trying to creep in. Obviously, God says we can overcome. And he says, casting down what? Imaginations and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into what? Into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. What do you say? So, we can overcome. Overcome. But we can overcome by controlling our thoughts and we can control our thoughts when we are connected with who with the Lord through his word all right another way is by addiction by what by addiction I was talking to a gentleman and uh, he told me that he wanted to be baptized I asked him a question. I said, is there anything you think would keep you from being baptized? He said, yeah, I got a little problem. So I said, well, what's your little problem? He said, well, I know the Lord's not happy with smoking, so I I, got to get rid of it. I said, so it's a little problem for you. He said, oh, yeah, it's a little problem. I can just put it away. Next week, I went to visit with him and said, so I asked him the question, how's your little problem? And he said, the Lord knows that I love him. When the Lord is ready, he'll take it away from me. And I said to him, I said, no, that's not correct. I said, the Lord knows you don't love him. He said, what? You don't know my heart. I said, I don't have to know your heart. All I have to know is what you're saying. And what you're saying is you're blaming God. And that when God is good and ready to take it away, then then he'll take it away. Otherwise, you're going to keep smoking. So I said to him, as long as you think that way, you'll never gain the victory. I said, what does the Bible say about people who yield themselves to serve something? He said, I don't know. So I turned to Romans 6 and verse 16. Where did I turn to? Romans 6 and verse 16. If you're there, notice what it says. To whom you yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants you are, whether of sin or of righteousness. So if you yield yourself to obey, you are its servant. So I asked him the question. I said, where does smoking come from? Does the Lord encourage people to smoke? What would be the answer to that? If it's not the Lord, then I said, then who would it be? He said, I don't want to think that way. So I said, well, brother, I said, power from God comes when a person recognizes that they have a need. As long as you are sidestepping the reality that you are serving the evil one by yielding yourself to his control by the smoking. If you want victory, then you have to admit that you have a problem and that God must help you. But you must want it bad enough that you're willing to cooperate with him. Do you understand what I'm saying? There's power available for addictions. I can tell you this, folks, that... I was a smoker. I was on drugs. I was doing all sorts of things when I was in show business. It was not until I knelt down and I begged God to take it away that it went away. And I can tell you, it went away just like that. God has power to deliver. Did you hear what I said? And he can deliver us from how many things? From all things. But we must believe that we have a problem. And we must be willing to yield to it. So, know ye not that to whom you yield yourself servants to obey, his servants you are to whom you obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto what? Righteousness. So, how many of us want to be obedient unto sin? Any one of us? No. All of us want to be obedient unto life. But it is a choice. And where is that choice made? In the mind. Where's it made? In the mind. So we, all of us, don't have to feel like we are stuck in the mud or we are in the mold and we can never change. That is not true. What did I say? That is not true. Absolutely not true. The devil would want to encourage you to believe that, but the reality is that through God there's power to save. Listen. There are thoughts and feelings suggested and aroused by who? By Satan that annoy even the best of men. But if they're not cherished, if they're what? If they are not cherished, if they are what? Repulsed as hateful, the soul is not what? Contaminated with guilt, and no other is defiled by their influence. And so, in other words, folks, We are in this battle. Our brain is the the battleground. But through God's grace, we can change and overcome. We don't have to feel like it's hopeless. We can't change. We can't become better people. We can. And that's what the battle of the mind is all about. What is our hope? Here's a quote from the Bible. Uh, It should read, Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? The word uh, long should be young. Sometimes you type and the computer changes the word. So, compliments of the computer. Wherewithal shall I what? A young man cleanses his way. How many of you type on your cell phones a word and then you find out that it has a different word? Any of you? All right. And they call them smartphones. Anyway, uh, wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? So, what's the question being raised here? What is suggested here? That a young man's way is not clean. And so if the young man's way is not clean, then the question is, how can he clean his way? And the answer is, uh, uh, by taking heed according to thy word. And then the, verse 11, it says, thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not, what? Sin against thee, All right? What you hold in your hands, folks. It's not just another book. It is inspired words that bring power with them. It is what? Inspired words that bring power with them. These are living words which have the power to change the human heart. And the longing that God has is to deliver us all from sin. But the only way he can deliver us all from sin is when we recognize and acknowledge that we have a need and so Paul said oh wretched man that I am who shall deliver me from the body of this death so Jesus then said to Nicodemus you must be what you must be born again and so the reality is that we have a part to play we can resist we can take in the words of God we can allow the words of God to cleanse our minds And be called, what is called sanctified. In other words, growing more and more in the likeness of Christ. And then, of course, when we do wrong, we have the privilege to confess it. What do you say? If we confess our sins, he is what? Faithful and just to do what? Forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I have dealt with so many people who are just weighed down with things that they have done. And uh, they think that it's, it's impossible to get out of the pit that they're in. And I have to wrestle with them to let them know that it's not true. That no matter how wicked a person is, no matter how deep in sin a person is, God can deliver the person and give them power to overcome. But a person must believe that it's possible. And so the Bible said, be not conformed to this world, but be ye what? Transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So, as we study the word, we should read the word not just to get information, but we should read the word to get transformation. To get what? Transformation. Oh Lord, change me. You have promised in your word that I could be changed. He says, That he will finish the work that he's begun in you. Which means then that it is a promise. And if we believe the promise, we can be overcomers. And that's the good news of the scriptures. So it says, if any man be in what? In Christ, he is a what? A new creation. All things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. I'm so grateful that God is able to finally bring us to the place When in the kingdom we shall see his, what? His face. And his name shall be in their forehead. How many of you would like his name to be in your forehead? Yes, I I, I long to reflect the image of Christ. And when I do things that I know are not acceptable to the master, it troubles me. And I continue to pray that God continues to change my mind so I can become more and more Christ-like. And I also recognize that there's a battle for my mind. There's discouragement that can come in. There are uh, wicked thoughts that can enter in. Uh, there are all sorts of temptations that can come in. But if you are aware of the battle, and you are aware of the way that the enemy works, then you're in a better position to re- reject those thoughts and to become victorious. And we go then from victory to victory until finally we're at his side. In conclusion, uh, I was there in Romania uh, preaching an evangelistic meeting, and there was a young man who wanted me to help his friend. Uh, the friend was obviously drunk, his hair was messed up, his eyes were bloodshot. Uh, His breath, I felt if I lit a match, he would explode uh, with how much alcohol he had in his breath. And he could barely stand, he was just weaving back and forth. And the young man said, he was a gypsy, he said, do for him what you did for me. And that was surprising to me. I didn't know who the young man was. And I said, I haven't done anything for you. He said, yes, you have. He said, "Since I've been coming to these meetings, something has happened inside. I'm not longer the person I used to be." And he rolled up his sleeve and he showed me all the scars that he had on his on his arms from knife fights. He would go get drunk, and this was his fighting buddy. They'd go out and fight with knives, and he had all these scars on his arms. And he said, "But since I've come to these meetings," And I'm hearing these wonderful words. Something strange happened inside. And I've lost all desires to go out and fight and get drunk and all that. So he said, do for my buddy what you did for me. Then I understood. So I knelt down with the boy and I said, do you want to overcome? He said, yes. I said, how badly? Are you willing to do anything? Yes. I said, then let's kneel and pray. We knelt and prayed. That young man begged God to deliver him. And then I prayed that God would give him the power. Then I lifted him up and I said, young man, just go home and never drink again. You know, that young man kept on coming to the meetings with his buddy. And they brought their wives, two gypsy uh, young ladies. And you know what's wonderful? Last year, I was in Romania. And I, I was in the back room about ready to go up to preach. All of a sudden, somebody came and grabbed me and held on to me. And cried and I didn't know who it was and when I turned around it was that gypsy who 25 years ago had told me do for my for my body what you've done for me and there he was he brought his wife uh, along and they just hugged and cried and cried and cried and then reminded me that he was the young man that had been delivered By the power of Christ and you know what he told me he said today I'm the head elder of the church hallelujah what do you say so there is power will you say amen to that there is power all we have to do is accept that there is power and so we can overcome and ye shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free let's pray loving God We know that there is a battle for our minds. For many times we struggle and wonder why we have thoughts that are impure or discouragement or irritated. Thoughts that cause us to want to be angry and say things that we ought not to say. But tonight we realize that many times we are just simply being pushed to do things. But we also know that through you, we can overcome. And so Lord, if there are those here tonight who are struggling, who recognize that there is a battle in their minds and they want their victory, oh God, may they turn to you tonight. May they request from you that power that you alone can give them and set them free. We thank you for hearing us in Jesus' name, amen.